Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. And um, we just, we can't, can't hardly believe it that you've brought us all together. And we should believe it. I don't know why we don't have more faith. But, uh, Lord, you've been so gracious to us. and You've given us such a wonderful family here. And we really are an extended family. And I look forward even to the time we'll spend together at the family retreat, getting to know each other better. Um, and I look forward to every Sunday. Lord, thanks for making my job a great job. I can't think of anybody that has a better job on earth. It's just so fun um, to minister with and to um, these people. So thank you for that privilege and help us to continue to grow in our relationship uh, with you and pray that we would learn from what you have for us today, from the message from Scripture, that we'd learn from it and we'd apply it to our lives. Amen. Okay, so ever, anybody ever give you a gift? I hope so. Anybody give you a monetary gift, give you money, or make a deposit on your account? You know, somebody, grandma and grandpa say they're going to give you some money, and you take it, and what do you do with it? You put it someplace where it's going to be safe. You may not put it in Fort Knox, but you put it at least in a good local bank, right? You guard your deposit. Paul is going to be talking about guarding your deposit from two angles. He's going to be talking about how you guard what God gives you physically, you know, your perspective on that, but he's also going to be talking about how, from a spiritual perspective, you guard your deposit. And we're going to look at the last two paragraphs of Paul's first epistle to Timothy. An epistle is a long letter. It was the first letter he wrote to Timothy. Paul was an aging missionary statesman. At that time, he was in Macedon, which is present-day Greece, and he was writing to Timothy, who was in what was then the sprawling metropolis of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, both under the Roman Empire. And Ephesus was the church that was struggling. And he sent Timothy as protege there to help this church. And so the letter is really about how to pastor. Follow these instructions, Timothy, and that was the name of our series. Follow instructions. Follow what I tell you to do, and everything's going to be okay. He finishes it, it seemed, with a flourish last week, a real motivational ending. If don't, if you remember last week's message, he had some really powerful things to say, and it sounds like he's done, but then he comes back. It's almost like he forgot, and he was, he was away, and you know, maybe taking a walk, maybe praying. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit put on his heart, you have more to write. There's two more paragraphs I want you to write for posterity. And so Paul goes back and writes these two paragraphs. What do you call that? What do you do when you're writing a letter and you've forgotten you wanted to put something else in it? P.S., right? That's what this is. What does P.S. stand for? Postscript. So he has two postscripts, P.S., P.S.S. And that's what these two paragraphs are. But they're linked together thematically by this idea of guarding your deposit which will, un, you know, will develop for you as we go. Now, we're going to ask the question, how should we guard our deposit? And we'll get those answers in two different sections. The first paragraph is going to deal more with your physical deposit. The second paragraph is going to deal more with your spiritual deposit. So, first of all, how should we guard our deposit? Physically speaking, trust in God, not in the deposit, not in money. Trust in God, not in money. Now, the passage we'll be looking at is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 21. We're going to start with verses 17 through 19. And I want to just zero in on verse 17 alone. There's a lot there. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Rich. 
who are the rich? You know, he talks to everybody. He, he talks earlier to the poor. He, he talks to the widows. He talks to the leaders. He talks to the slaves. Now he's going to talk to the rich. Most Americans don't like to think that we're rich. I found that out through the years. It was interesting. We lived down in San Diego County. It was a very affluent area that we lived in. Rancho Santa Fe at the time was one of, if not the most affluent community in the United States. I had a friend who was an architect there, and he drove me around one time, and people did not have mansions there. They had palaces. I mean, there would be bridges from one building to another. There'd be not one swimming pool, but two, you know, or three or whatever. It was unbelievable, the homes they had. These people were billionaires. But if you lived, if you had the misfortune of having to live by the ocean in a mansion in Del Mar, you were only a millionaire. And if you only lived, you know, in Encinitas by the ocean, you maybe made six figures. Well, you're kind of middle class, or you know. And I always wondered, what did that make us? It was a different world, right? But it's, so in a sense, being rich is a relative thing to where you live. You may be rich for the church, but poor for the community. Rich for the community, but poor for the county. But one thing is for certain. If you look at the whole world over, we're all pretty rich. Even the poorest people in America are better off than most people in the world today. We're a very wealthy country. So however you consider yourself to be, rich or not, there are principles here that will be helpful for all of us, I believe. Now, the one thing we need to understand about the rich, and it, and it comes into play here, is in Luke chapter 18, verse 24, you may remember what Jesus said. He was talking to the rich young ruler, and he essentially says it's impossible for a rich person to enter heaven except by God. Well, that's interesting because that's true for all of us, isn't it? But the emphasis that he put on it helps us to see that, boy, there is a little bit more difficulty for a rich person. And the reason why is we're going to see is that they put their emphasis, they put their trust in God, uh, in their money. I said this last service too. They put their trust in their money rather than put their trust in God. And that's where they mess up. That's, that's where they miss it. It's so hard because they have that money there that's just luring them uh, to go to them. And so that's one of the problems that happens when you have too much. It can lure you that way. And yet, What's interesting is even though James, in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, warns us against it, most churches, when they find somebody who's rich in their church, will put that person in leadership before they check their character. Because they just assume that they're a great person. And yet, as we see, that may not be true. In fact, we really have to watch out because this passage says that they're rich, but they're rich in this present world. First thing we see is that they can't take it with them. So they shouldn't be arrogant, as it says. They shouldn't be high-minded. They shouldn't be haughty. They shouldn't be proud about their money because they may not have it tomorrow. And as the old saying goes, we saw earlier, you can't take it with you. Whatever you have, it's all going to go one day. Only people that are in a relationship with the Lord will last forever. And so you can't take it with you. And so you can see right away, this guy has a problem. There's another problem with arrogance. And that is that people get arrogant about the money they have. But stop and think about it. It's almost genetic. Wealthy people breed wealthy people. Most people are wealthy because their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are wealthy and it's been passed down. Some people have come from a middle-class background. But the thing is, usually poor people don't become rich 
until several generations because they have to work up to it. Occasionally they do, and you have these great rags to riches stories, but even then, you know, you have to make wise decisions. I understand you can make good decisions or bad decisions with your money, but you're in the right place at the right time. Isn't it amazing how that works out? Ultimately, God is the one who provides, according to this passage, everything we get. And so if you're trusting in just the money you made or in your own ingenuity to make money, you could, I mean, even rich people can lose it all in one day. And when you die, you will lose it all. So don't put your trust in that, but you need to instead put your trust in God and put your hope in him, not in the wealthy, but, but in him, because he richly provides us with everything. And get this, he provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Literally, the word enjoyment means for our physical pleasure. And we know that there must be a misunderstanding there. Because those of us who have gone to church all of our life and stuff, we know that Christians are not supposed to have fun. <laughs> and we should, we should feel guilty if we have anything that's nice at all. That's wrong, right? That doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. You know, as we learned earlier, your responsibility in Christ, if the, the money you have is to take care of your family, provide for them, give sacrificially and generously to the church, and if you can, to others beyond that. But if you have the money, you can enjoy it. You know, if you have a nice house, enjoy that house, because you're not going to have it forever, and you probably won't even have it for this lifetime. If you have a nice boat and you go on to San Pedro and you want to go skiing, fine. Just don't go to Woodward Reservoir right now. <laughs> and if you're a man in this town of Oakdale, by all means, buy yourself a truck. <laughs> I don't have a truck, but I've heard that Oakdaleans are supposed to have them. Um, it doesn't matter. To ha- it matters how you use them. Do you share them with others? Do you use them for ministry? Are you generous with your other giving? We, by, of all people, should enjoy each other and should enjoy physical pleasures. That's not bad because it will eventually be gone. Enjoy it while you have it. Have fun. We should enjoy it more than anybody else does. But make sure that you keep in check the, the boundaries that we've talked about. And we're going to talk about some more boundaries now that deal more with your character and also go a little bit further in how you should, how you should be if, God, if you happen to have money and you're doing well, and I'm sure all of us have money to some degree here, how we should deal with it. Listen to what he says in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. If a person has money, and all of us to some degree do, we're supposed to be good people. I remember with my kids growing up, I tell them, it's more important to me that you're a good person than that you get good grades. Now, you've got to be careful with that one. But it is true, isn't it? It's more important that you're a good person than that you're a great athlete. It's more important that you're a good person than that you have a prestigious position in the community. It's more important that you're a good person than that you're wealthy. It's good if you can do both. But being a good person is what's most important. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he told me that he played football um, with Aaron Rodgers, the great all-pro quarterback. And the first question I asked him is the first question most of us ask, what was he like? Is he a nice guy? I was really hoping he would say he wasn't a nice guy because it's hard to root against a guy 
you like. And he's on my, the, he plays for the Green Bay Packers. I'm a Niner fan. And unfortunately, he said, no, he's a really nice guy. He's like one of the greatest guys you ever met. And he knows the Lord and went on and on. This guy's a great guy. Isn't that what you want? I mean, how many times have you said, oh, you know so-and-so, what's he like or what's she like? And they say, oh, she is a jerk. Oh, he is such an idiot. You can't believe. And it's like it ruins it for you, right? Better to be a good person than to be a wealthy person. The second thing that he says is it's important to be a person who's rich in good deeds. So this means that it's not just the person gives money to the hospital, but then they go in and they get involved in serving in the hospital. They'll just give money to the church, but they get involved in the church. They get in a small group. They get involved. They don't just give money to the city of Oakdale, but then they go and they roll up their sleeves and they help with Love Oakdale. They don't just give money to Crisis Pregnancy Center, but they go down and they serve. People that get involved, you, you know, it's good to just not give money, but to actually get involved and help people is important too, even if you're blessed with money. And then he says that they should be uh, generous. And the idea of generous is... You know, really, this idea of being sacrificially generous and caring for others, sharing what you have. Um, Jesus teaches his disciples about this in Luke chapter 12, verse 33. He teaches them about giving their money away. Um, and then Paul says something very interesting in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 15. He says, he, and he's talking about money here, he says, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. You know what he's saying there? One guy gathers a lot of money. Another guy gathers little. How come the guy that has little has money? Because the guy who gathered much gave him money. That's the whole idea here. I know it's anti-capitalism. In a capitalist company, country, he who has, he keeps what's his. And that guy didn't work as hard, and he didn't do as much well, so he doesn't get as much. That's how our country operates because we're capitalists. I, believe me, I'm a capitalist. But overall, I, I think that's real. Don't get upset with me. But, but what I'm saying is what we miss, sometimes we take it to an extreme. We realize that God says we're responsible for taking care of those who have not. We need to take care of each other. Uh, if everybody had that attitude, we wouldn't have problems with poverty. And so that's what the Bible teaches when it comes to money, is you share with other people. Gary Damaris says, um, you know, the saying is, a penny saved is a penny earned. He says, from the biblical perspective, it should read, a penny shared is a penny earned. God honors us when we're generous and we take care of those. We share what we have with those who have not. Because remember, the money came from God in the first place. And so God gives us money primarily to share our money, to give it away, to care for those that don't have, you know, to give to the church, to give to the community, to give for those that are hurting. So it, it's generosity. Ralph Earl says, uh, wealth imposes a heavy responsibility on its possessors. The greater the means for doing good, the greater is our responsibility. What an opportunity wealthy people have for benefiting the needy. And he goes on and he says that they're willing to share. Willing to share um, comes from the Greek word koinonia, no, yeah, which means fellowship. And so what's interesting here is he's saying, don't just give physically, 
but give of your heart. Build relationships. I had a friend recently tell me, um, he said his dad was great at giving gifts, got the best toys on the block, but not so great at giving love. And that can happen, can't it? This passage is saying the opposite. Ralph Rohl says it is easier to give money than ourselves. Love requires both. And that's what's required in this passage. Now, he goes on in the next section, he says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. They're going to lay up treasure for themselves. That's going to be their foundation. He's speaking, of course, you know, uh, figuratively, but here he's, he's still playing on this whole idea of money. They're going to, the money that God has given them, they're going to lay up in a spiritual sense. The way they handle their money lays a foundation for their future life, the coming age. Where is our future life? Where is the coming age supposed to take place, ultimately? Where do you go after this life? If you know the Lord, yeah, you go to heaven. So when we go to heaven... The way we handle our money, the way we care for others while we're here on earth, is going to lay a foundation for how life is going to be when we get to heaven. And what I really like about this is where he says it's the true life. The true life is not on earth. The true life is in heaven. Now, if you live here on earth, you're going to die. I think probably everybody knows that. Um, You're going to die here on earth. And... If you're lucky, you live to be 70, 80 years of age, maybe 90 if you have a good doctor and he gives you good medicine and keeps you going. And maybe 100 if you get that old, you probably won't know it. But, um, <laughs> but some people do and they're really healthy, but that's it. But when you go to heaven, how old do you live? You live forever. So where's the true life? God is the one who created life and he's in heaven, in person. That's the real life. And so we need to set our standards for that life. Jesus says it well in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? What's most important to you in this world? What are you spending your money on? That'll tell you quick. Is it on you or is it on those that are in need? Do you spend money just on people that maybe don't need things just to make them happy and to win them over? Or do you spend it on people who need? What are you doing with your money? So that's a really important thing for us to to come to grips with. And finances, you know, is is important. And it, it reveals where our heart is at. And understand that ultimately we need to be investing in each other because we're the ones that will live forever. Rich person, let's get back to that. Rich person. Is he going to go to heaven? Rich people can go to heaven. But I'd say that most rich people, like most people in general, but maybe even more so, rich people don't generally go to heaven. If you're really rich, a lot of times, you know why? They're too caught up in their money. And oftentimes those that go to heaven 
because they're so caught up in their money, they, they get to heaven, but they don't have much in heaven. Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. 